Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17 is where we're gonna be today, and we'll get there in a little bit, so just hold your finger on it. But before we jump in this morning, can I brag to you guys for a second? My son Judah took his first step this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, I am. But I also know that once he starts walking, it is all downhill from there. I mean, it is a slippery slope that we ain't climbing back from. And so our, our house has undergone a pretty radical transformation the last 11 months. It's called baby-proofing, right? And baby-proofing your house is kind of like preparing for a natural disaster, uh, you got to get everything. Nothing can be within three feet of the floor. You got to get all your valuables and lock them up safely somewhere hidden. You got to sweep the floor at least 47 times a day because if you don't, anything left on the floor can and will be eaten. And most importantly, you got to get a baby gate. Anybody have a baby gate in their house? Am I the only one? All right, okay. Uh, now, Judah is basically allowed to go wherever he wants in our house. He can go just about anywhere except the stairs. So where do you think Judah wants to go? The stairs, exactly. And now the reason I'm not allowing him to go to the stairs is because Judah is 11 months old and he's getting stronger and, and, and more coordinated every single day, but he's a baby. He's still not what I would call a model of perfect balance and dexterity, right? So if I let Judah go climb the stairs on his own, he'd probably make it a little ways, but then he'd probably pull a Humpty Dumpty, right? He'd have a great fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Judah together again. So, instead of just chasing Judah every time he goes and takes off for the stairs seven million times a day, we bought a baby gate. And I love this thing. It's basically this childproof fence that stands as a border between Judah's kingdom and my kingdom. <laughs> this is a gate, it's a fence that allows Judah to play where he's allowed to go and it doesn't allow him to go where he's not allowed to go. And let me tell you, it's fine for Judah, but he's got this sneaking suspicion that there has to be something more. And it calls to him, that, that border between the familiar and the forbidden. It's like a tractor beam. And so, and so countless times, Judah crawls over towards those stairs and he gets over to that baby gate and he pulls himself up next to it and he just shakes it for all he's worth, but it doesn't open and so he just peers over the top of it, staring as far as he can up those stairs, thinking there's, there's gotta be something up there. I know there is. There's gotta be more than this. And yet as hard as he tries, he can't get over there. He can't get across that fence. And that's our human experience too, right? We live in these little kingdoms, our little play area, our lives, our houses, the realm within our control. But at the edge of our kingdom, at the edge of our universe, stands a fence. A fence between us and another world. And, and every day around the world, thousands of times a day, a heart stops beating, lungs stop breathing, and somebody leaves this little kingdom we call earth. They're gone. They go over to the other side of the fence. And we spend our lives trying to figure out what's on the other side of the fence, if, if anything. What's over there? And we stand at the fence and we gaze over it and we shake it for all it's worth. Because we just have this irrepressible instinct that there's got to be something more to life. 
There has to be something more to reality than our little play area, right? In fact, the Bible even talks about this. In Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, it says about God that he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So God has designed us to try to peer over that fence. But despite all our standing and our shaking and our striving and our trying, we can't get to the other side. And so it seems like the human race would never really know for sure what, if anything, was over there. Apparently, the only way you figured out what was on the other side of the fence, the only way you got to cross the fence was if you were dead. Death was the only thing that would bring the answer. And by then, it was too late to come back and tell anybody about it. So it seemed like we would just never know. Until one day, a man came walking into our space. A man who looked just like every other man. But he had a breathtaking claim. He said he came from the other side of the fence. And his name was Jesus. And he came to tell us what life was like over there on that side of the fence. Here's your Bible quiz for the morning. Uh, Jesus came, and during his earthly ministry, he spent a lot of time preaching. Do you know what Jesus preached about? Do you know what Jesus' message was? I'm going to throw a few verses up on the screen. I'll read the black words, and I want you to read the purple words out loud, okay? We'll start in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Luke chapter 10. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the of God has come near to you. Luke chapter 12. But seek his and these things will be given to you as well. So what was Jesus' message? The kingdom. The kingdom. Jesus came to tell us about that world over there on the other side of the fence. And he called that world the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Those two terms are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. We'll use both of them today. You're gonna get your money's worth today, all right? So the Greek word for kingdom that we see in the Bible is the word basileia. Say that with me. Say basileia, basileia. And that word basileia appears in the gospel of Luke alone 46 times. I think it's safe to say what Jesus' message was. Jesus came saying the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus was the fence climber. Jesus came as the kingdom bringer. And yet, I'm not sure that most of us have really done a good job most of the time of listening to Jesus' whole message about the kingdom. Most of the time we treat it like Jesus came to tell us how to climb that fence and get into that other world when we die. Now the only problem with that is that nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, here are the basic minimal entrance requirements to get you into heaven when you die. <laughs> now let's make no mistake. Jesus does get us into heaven when we die. Jesus is the forgiveness bringer. Jesus did die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could go live with God for eternity when we do die. 
That is huge and that is important and that is necessary and that is true and that is a big, 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 big part of the good news of Jesus that we call the gospel. But that's not all of the gospel because Jesus did not just come as the forgiveness bringer. He also came as the kingdom bringer. Jesus did not come saying, when you die, you will enter the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God is here, now. Jesus did not just come to get this world into heaven. He also came to get heaven into this world. Recently, uh, I asked some of the parents in our church to ask their kids some questions about heaven, and I think you'll find their responses kind of fun like I did. We asked the question, what is heaven? And Everest, age five, said, heaven is like earth, but above the clouds, and Jesus and God are there. Pretty good. We asked, where is heaven? Three-year-old Elijah said, way up in the sky. And eight-year-old Avery said, way, with a whole bunch of whys, way above us. We asked, what does heaven look like? Four-year-old Luke said, like our house. Hmm, must be a pretty nice house. <laughs> Isla said, it's golden and sparkly, shiny treasures all around. And four-year-old Graham said, it's pretty in heaven. I think he's right. We asked, who will be in heaven? Nine-year-old Drew said, people who've been baptized and believe in God. That's pretty good. Isla said, Jesus and God, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. The seven-year-old theologian right there. <laughs> and Dane, age four, said, it has Jesus and God in it and Libby the dog. <laughs> I hope so, buddy. <laughs> well, and the last question we asked them was, what will you do in heaven? Olivia, age 10, said, we'll ask God a lot of questions and have fun. Luke said, we'll live, play games, have fun, and hopefully jump on a trampoline. <laughs> Alyssa said, we'll go bowling. Graham needed to ask a clarifying question first. He said, are there toys in heaven? <laughs> and three-year-old Wilder said, we'll go in the water with the fishing pole. Sounds like heaven to me, buddy. <laughs> I think those kids hit the nail on the head and I love just imagining what heaven's gonna be like. But I think that sometimes we think that heaven's just gonna be this faraway place on the clouds where we're just floating around with angel wings strumming our harp and we live in a nice house in a neighborhood and God happens to be our neighbor and God is this old man with white hair and a beard and a deep, soft, silky, smooth voice. And that until we get to heaven, God's just kind of hanging out up there by himself, twiddling his thumbs, waiting for time to end and we can come hang out with him. And so we get to the title of this sermon today. And the main point that I think Jesus wants to teach us this morning. If that's your vision of the kingdom, if that's your vision of heaven, if that's your vision of God, then your God is too distant. Because the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God is not just some mystical cloud land floating in the sky that we'll go to someday in the future after we die. No, heaven is, is more than that. Heaven is God's space. It is a full, real, true, physical, eternal reality that is, yes, in the future, but also very much interlocks with our present earthly reality. In other words, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are living the eternal life right now. 
Now, you might be thinking, okay, I think I get the general concept, Luke, but I'm still a little foggy on the nitty-gritty. What exactly is the kingdom of heaven like? Great question. I'm glad you asked. (laughs) What is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, it's pretty simple, really. The kingdom of heaven is where God is king. The kingdom of heaven is the people among whom what Jesus says goes. Now, before Jesus came, back in the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was a literal, physical kingdom. It was a nation, the nation of Israel. And originally, the nation of Israel didn't even have a human king because God was their king. They were the kingdom of God. And God said to Israel in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, he says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Israel was the kingdom of God. But if you know much about the story of Israel, it wasn't long before they disobeyed and they rebelled and they fell away from God and they got overrun by pagan religions and foreign armies and they were oppressed and eventually they got sent into exile and their nation was no more. And so the Jews, God's people, for decades, hundreds of years, are, are, are longing, they're, they're waiting for God to reestablish the kingdom of God on earth just like he promised he would. They were waiting for that kingdom to come. And when that kingdom came, they thought that it would be a military kingdom. They expected a political kingdom that would overthrow all of Israel's enemies, especially Rome. And it would come with much fanfare and military force, so much, in fact, that everybody would notice it when it came. And so when Jesus comes announcing that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near and he does these amazing miracles and draws these massive crowds, all of Israel is on the edge of their seat thinking, could this be the one who will bring the kingdom here? Again, will he restore us? Will he rescue us? And they're also thinking, well, Jesus, you've been saying for three years now that the kingdom of heaven has come near. So so when are we going to see it? When are the battles going to start? When will the revolution begin? It's a logical question. And so we come to our main text for the day, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, this kingdom isn't going to show up like you think it's going to show up. In fact, this kingdom that you're expecting is a little different than the kingdom that I'm bringing. And then Jesus says a shocking thing. He says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, if I'm a Jew listening to Jesus say that, I'm thinking, what? Where? I, I, I don't see any government forming. I don't see any supplies being gathered. I don't see any political coup. I don't see any military, any armies. I don't see any king. Oh, wait. <laughs> the kingdom of God was right in front of them. The king himself was right in front of them and they were missing him. Their God was too distant 
They expected that God would return and establish his kingdom and he would come riding down on a war horse from a faraway land as a conquering warrior. And yet when God came, he came as a baby and a humble Galilean carpenter. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. No. Their God was too distant. The kingdom was right in front of them. God was right among them in their midst. The king was there. The kingdom of heaven, you see, is the place where Jesus is. Heaven is where Jesus is. And the place, the kingdom of heaven, is the place where Jesus is king. So church, welcome to the kingdom of heaven. And now all this talk about kingdoms might be a little bit confusing for you. So let me illustrate here for a second. If you've ever been on a car trip with kids, you know about kingdoms, right? Because 20 minutes down the road, the kids in the back seat, what do they start doing? They draw a line down the middle of the seat. This is my kingdom. That is your kingdom. This is the area where what I say goes. Now that is the kingdom where your law reigns supreme, but you better keep your fingers and your toes and your toys out of my kingdom or there will be blood. And so there starts to be these territory wars and the kids start bickering in the back seat because they think that each half of the seat is a kingdom and it belongs to them. But of course, dad thinks that the whole car is his kingdom, right? So what is dad doing? He's driving down the road and he's reaching behind trying to swat them. And he's trying to, you know, stay off the rumble strips and stay out from crossing the yellow line. But he's reaching around and the kids are back there corner, cowering in their little corners of the kingdom, staying away from dad's searching hand until, like my dad says, a tap on the brakes brings them right into place. Whack! <laughs> kingdom. And we live our lives surrounded by kingdoms. Anywhere where your will is effective, anywhere what, where what you say goes, that's your kingdom. So, so every house, every family, every group of people, every organization, every business is a kingdom. And yet we go and we live our lives out in this world of these distorted earthly kingdoms run by sinful people, myself included, and my house. And sometimes we see the pain that those kingdoms cause and sometimes it's really hard to believe Jesus' claim that the kingdom of heaven has really drawn near. But then I read what the apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, talking about the church, echoing the language of ancient Israel that we just read. He says about us, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You are the kingdom. So in other words, even though the other kingdoms of earth are still hanging around for a little while, which means there's still brokenness and pain and sin and death, the church is supposed to be the place where God is king, where what Jesus says goes. And the kingdom of God comes when we every day choose to let Jesus reign in our lives where we let Jesus' word control and dictate and rule our thoughts and our words and our interactions and our families and our houses and our offices and our friendships. This is how the kingdom of God comes. And so we become the kingdom of heaven when we become the place where Jesus is king. And we will become a people and a place that look like heaven. 
We will become a place with no hunger and a people with no jealousy and a place with no war and a people without greed and a place with no apathy and a people with no outcasts and a place with no anxiety and a people where everyone is humble and a place where there is no depression. That's the kind of kingdom I want to live in. I don't know about you. But all too often, we think that that kind of perfect kingdom is going to be someday way in the future after we die then and there. But Jesus is coming to bring that kingdom here and now in us. Jesus died for two reasons. One of them was, yes, to get this world into heaven. But the other one's to get heaven into this world. To get a taste of what life with God is like on this side of the fence. My guess is that many of you are probably familiar, at least vaguely familiar with the Lord's Prayer If you know this line, say it along with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, make up there, come down here. Make up there, come down here. Can you imagine what it would be like if we prayed that prayer? You know, I saw it happen this week. Last week I was preaching at a little country church in Missouri, and I met a lady named Jenny. And Jenny is a wonderful woman. She just radiates joy. And Jenny has cerebral palsy. She's a sharp mind, but she's a prisoner of her own body, confined to a wheelchair, lives in a nursing home, mangled hands, twisted spine. But she is a prayer warrior, and her crooked little smile just lights up the room. I also, when I was at that church, met a man named Charlie. And you may never meet two people who look more different than Charlie and Jenny. Charlie's a big, burly guy, tattoos peeking out from around the edges of his shirt, looks a little bit rough around the edges. And to be totally honest, I profiled him. When I saw the way that Charlie was acting in the church service, I thought he didn't care at all. And then communion time came. And I watched as Charlie got up to serve communion and I saw this big burly guy bend down ever so gently and take the juice and put the cup to Jenny's lips and give it to her. And the Holy Spirit just stabbed me in the heart because I don't know if I've ever seen a picture, a more beautiful picture of what Jesus died to create than that right there. In that little moment, the kingdom of heaven had come near. And I almost missed it. But up there was coming down here. I know another church committed to bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth. I know a guy, his name is Cliff Hazard. And Cliff preaches at the one church in Milford, Missouri. If you drive to Milford, the sign outside the town says that the population of Milford is 52 people. Cliff and his wife have nine kids, so most of Milford is the Hazard family. (laughs) And there's a little country church in Milford that saw the poverty in their county. They saw the family struggling to get by, and so they started a ministry in their church called SOS. stands for Share Our Stuff. I like that. And Cliff tells a story of back in September 2005 when there was a church member named Sonia who worked at a gas station in a nearby town. One day, Sonia was working when a car pulled into the gas station driven by a lady named Michelle. The car had only one window left. 
It was crammed full. Michelle, her boyfriend, and Michelle's three kids. The license plate said Louisiana. They just lost everything they had in Hurricane Katrina. And they packed up into their car, and they didn't know what to do, so they just drove north. And when Michelle met Sonia there at that gas station, Michelle got on the phone. And within 48 hours, they had, or excuse me, Sonia got on the phone. And, and within 48 hours, they had Michelle a place to live in Milford. They had her a stove and, and blankets and towels and kitchen supplies, everything they needed. Some of the guys in the church fixed all the windows on Michelle's car. Her boyfriend got rip-roaring drunk, so they bought him a ticket to Iowa to see his family. <laughs> they got the kids in school. Her son, Rosie, became one of my good friends in high school. And when Michelle saw all this love radically poured out to her, she said, you know, I think I might like to stay in Milford. Guys, there's nothing in Milford, all right? <laughs> Except one church committed to being the kingdom of heaven on earth, committed to bringing up there, down here. And for a moment, few people with too much sharing with a few people who had too little. The kingdom of heaven had drawn near. So will you choose to let the kingdom come in your life this week? Will you choose to being a person that lets up there come down here? Every time that you encourage somebody who's down, the kingdom of heaven draws near. And every time you speak a strong, hard truth in love to somebody who's wandered too far off the path, the kingdom of heaven comes near. And every time somebody hurts you and you want to react with bitterness and gossip, but you choose to extend forgiveness and grace and love and patience and reconciliation anyway, the kingdom of heaven comes near. And every time you have a little bit of extra money and you choose to give it away, the kingdom of heaven comes near. And every time you drag your addiction into the light and you confess your sin and you stop hiding, the kingdom of heaven comes near. Up there comes down here. And when people see Jesus working in your life, they get a peek over the fence. If you go read the end of Luke chapter 17, which I hope you do this week, Jesus talks about the day when all of a sudden he's gonna come back and all those wimpy little earthly kingdoms are gonna be done away with and the kingdom of heaven will finally and fully reign in the world. Revelation chapter 11 verse five talks about that day saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. I can't wait for that day. I'm living for that day. That's what we're working for. And when that day comes, I want you to be in his kingdom. Trust me, you're gonna wanna be there too. So if you're not in his kingdom yet, come talk to us. There's no better time than now. And maybe you are in his kingdom, but there's still some dark corners of your heart that Jesus isn't totally king over yet. Maybe it's time to drag those into the light and let heaven rule your heart too. Because the kingdom of God is in our midst. Jesus is in our midst, so don't miss him. Because that's the good news. The good news is that the fence is not all there is. There's something on the other side. There's someone on the other side, and he has broken through. His name is Jesus, and he came, and he walked among us. He lived among us. He took on our humanity, and one dark day, he went, and he died on our behalf. And when he died, that Galilean carpenter turned that cross, turned that fence into a gate. 
that we could walk through to join in the kingdom of heaven on the day that we die. But it's also a gate that the kingdom of heaven comes through to us while we live. Because the kingdom of heaven is not just something we will experience then and there. It's something that we are living in here and now. When Christ is king among us, up there is coming down here, so don't miss it. Pay attention, church. Open your eyes. Open your ears. Watch closely. Listen carefully. Because I hear the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let's pray. Jesus, that is our prayer. That you would reign in every area of our lives. And that as you are our king and as we follow you, that people would see the way that we live and that we love and that they'd get a peek over the fence, that they'd catch a glimpse of heaven here on earth and that they would want what we have, that they would want you to be their king too. So Christ, convict us. If there be anything in us that you are not yet king over, we give it to you now. It's in your strong and good name that we pray. Amen.